Hey everybody, what's up and welcome back. That's right, that music can only mean one thing, it's Halloween, my absolute favorite time of the year. This year we have returning listener favorite Chris Woodyard. Chris is the author of the fantastic blog and book, The Victorian Book of the Dead, The Ghost War Black, The Headless Horror, The Face in the Window, and a seven-volume series of books on Haunted Ohio. She also runs a great blog called Mrs. Daffodil Digresses. All of these blogs and these books all deal with either ghosts or strange weird history, Victorian death customs, you get it. She never ever comes on the show and doesn't represent. This year is no exception. This show runs a little bit long like the last one. As I've said before, I'm not sure if you guys are cool with these long running format shows. I don't know if you guys listen to them all the way. If you want me to go to the old style when I did long shows and do them in two part episodes, I can do that. Whatever, just shoot me a message over at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Drop me a message on the Facebook page or bug me on Facebook if you have any feedback on these kinds of things. Also, this particular episode, my asthma was kicking in really, really hard. So you don't hear it because I added a lot of it out or as much as I possibly could. I kept losing my breath during the show and I had to keep hitting my inhaler over and over again. It kind of sucked. So yeah, whatever. We'll just deal with it, I guess. Co-hosting with me is good friend of mine, Shelly. Shelly has been on here for several episodes. It's been a little while since she's been on here. I think it's been over a year or so. Some of you may remember her coming on here and helping us out with our cannibalism episode. Pretty much anything having to do with death and dead bodies, she's usually here for. She would have been on the last episode, but I already had James booked on there to help me give me a hand with Jeannie because James knew Jeannie pretty well. But um, I'm going to try to have her on here again more often. I love co-hosting with her. She's very smart, she's very intelligent, she's very well-spoken, she's very well-researched, and she really likes doing stuff that is involving, quote, death positive. Take that however you will. So let's just jump into the episode, and I will see you guys at the other side. everybody this year we've got returning guests to the show real good friend of the show chris woodyard chris i usually try to have you on here either for halloween or christmas because those seem to be the two big spooky times of the year um and as you know i am a rabid fan of both of your blogs so what happens is, is throughout the year i make a little folder that has your name on it and as i see interesting stories i drop them into that folder and then come, you know, October or December, I'm like, so, uh, Chris, how you been lately? What you, uh, what you working on? What you writing? Do you want to come back on the show and talk about some spooky shit? <laughs> of course. So, uh, we've got you back on here this week. So, you know, um, as always, your, your blogs never fail ever to, to satisfy. But, um, how you been? What have you been up to? Are you still writing these days? And, you know, how, how's it I going? I am. Just kind of hiding from the world and uh, and doing some work. I was supposed to have a new book out this year, uh, but it's just not a good year to publish. So maybe next year. It seems to be a good year to write, but not a good year to publish. Exactly. So. And this one is called A is for Arsenic, A Little Book of Victorian Death. Oh, boy. We're going to have you back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's it's sort of like the Victorian Book of the Dead light or or the the um what is it the starter drug you know the the first taste is is little so uh, we'll we'll see if I can get it out next year my uh, illustrator Jessica is working on it so um, it's going to be sort of gory esque. I know Shelly here has many questions for you in regards to a lot of that stuff, which we'll probably get to towards the end of the show. So I guess um, let's see. Uh, let's start with death masks. Let's 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 take that one because that one has a lot to do with Halloween. Now, this isn't, as my friend Shelly pointed out, this isn't the classical death mask where somebody dies and they take an impression of their face. This has to do with kids like getting killed by cars and things like that for wearing masks that you couldn't see out of during Halloween. Right, exactly. And I grew up with those masks. Um, I don't know if you're probably not old enough to remember this, but you know, you had those brittle plastic ones or they had clammy rubber masks. Oh yeah, I'm forty eight. And it would you know, <laughs> it would never get adjusted just right. So you couldn't see and it would it would get sucked up in your nose and you couldn't breathe. So I can see how these poor children, you know, this one child was seven years old and she stepped in front of a streetcar because she couldn't see. She was wearing wearing a mask, a false face. Um, girls were, you know, hit by a train because they drove right in front of the train. They couldn't see. Um, my favorite ones of the death masks were the ones where the, the kids were scared to death. There's, there's all these stories about people being frightened to death, and we don't know whether that really was the case, but that's how they were reported. Like this child, a two-year-old boy named Walter, um, in 1897, um, a neighbor's child wearing a hideous false face rushed into the room where the boy was playing. And when the little one caught sight of the frightful-looking face, he shrieked with fright. Convulsions soon followed. They always convulse. Continued during the night until noon today when the little one died. You know, so did he have shock or did he have meningitis or something? But <laughs> You know, this it's there was another case where an infant, a 16-month-old, um, was ill of a spinal disease, and they put it, the cause, as convulsions from somebody wearing a mask and scaring him. It's it's very odd. Um, the mask causing such sad results was one of the most hideous affairs imaginable. It was flaming red with a long hooked nose, protruding chin, and generally devilish expression. I have to admit, I actually collect masks, ah. but when I looked at your death mask log, I was like, oh, okay, so yet another entry that we're going to be looking at, some famous heads and all of these people and really seeing what they looked like, and then it started straight into what <laughs> made me remember, I don't know if you guys, uh, SNL? Uh, Saturday Night Live, the old skit where Dan Aykroyd was selling things like invisible pedestrian and human torch. I'm like, oh my Bag God. Bag of sharp things. Bag of sharp things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like things that should not be sold. And oh, I was thinking yeah. about these masks and it's yeah. like those two little girls, uh, I, if you would, wouldn't mind telling the folks here, uh, the one that one of them got beheaded by a train. As a result yep, of the yep, Exactly, exactly. Didn't see it coming, you know, couldn't see out of the little eye holes. And I've, you know, I've seen older masks and, yeah, the tiny, tiny eye holes. It, or even no eye, not really eye holes, but just kind of a mesh. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, 
it's it's very obvious that this could happen. And as I say, it's reported quite often. Um, let's see, what was the other? The ones that I also like are the ones where people get poisoned by masks. Um, this oh woman my. was, let's see, what was it? 1902, killed by paper mache mask. Paint melted and caused girl's death by blood poisoning. It said all the children wore masks at this children's party. There was much romping. The perspiration on the girl's face melted the paint on the mask, and this contaminated an abrasion on her upper lip. Now, we know that colors were not uh, particularly safe then. Arsenic paint might have still been in use. Uh, it was. It had been taken out of service for clothing dye a while before, but they, you know, dyed candy with some toxic colors uh but these these kids got um blood poisoning there was a young boy named george 1906 he was wearing a, a paper false face paper mache the mask became wet and the poisonous dye percolating through the paper soaked into the skin on his face it just seems inexplicable but it it does you know these are this is how these things are reported this reminds me of way back when you first came on the show back in the day and you were talking about crepe and that the dye used in crepe was often poisonous and you would sweat and it would run down and it could kill you or it could permanently stain your skin and things like that. So, yeah, it was it was pretty toxic. Um, I haven't found any reports of people actually dying from ingesting that die or breathing through it you know doctors were rabid about you're going to get consumption you're going to get eye diseases uh, but i haven't really been able to document anything specific um, on that subject but it, it, it is an interesting idea that that could happen it would it would be lovely to write that into a murder mystery yeah i'm actually uh, if i I'm genuinely curious about dyes, um, and especially with fashion and with food. Uh, we do know that the the FDA and a lot of the regulations came about uh, much later. Mm -hmm. But if it was known to be deadly, and they still, you know, engaged like the Paris green dye um, that was used that killed quite a few people throughout the 19th century, mm -hmm. and the dyes that you're talking about. I mean, what kind of attitude do you have about death where you're like, oh, well, but it looks great and you keep pushing forward? Or was there a different culture? I'm just curious why you would continue to use these materials when you know it does these kinds of things, which I've seen, I think, in a few things. Was that common in Victorian fashion and inside of these like Halloween masks? Yeah, it was. And uh, as I say, it was also toxic things were used to um, dye Easter eggs and they were used in um, candy coloring and in ice cream. Part of it is just ignorance on the part of the public. You know, they don't realize or you have a child who's buying something at the corner store and their parents don't know what they're buying. And the storekeeper doesn't care. You know, he's he's buying the cheapest possible sweeties. Um, I mean, why do why do we have people rolling back environmental regulation today? It's uh, it's just a sort of a devil may care. 
I don't care what happens today uh, or what happens in the future. I'm going to live for today. So I'm not sure why and how much of it was thought to be just scare tactics. Oh, mom says I shouldn't eat that candy because it, it will poison me. Well, I'll show her. Uh, I want something sweet to eat. Um, this is where the whole thing with the red M&Ms kind of stemmed from. For years, they didn't make red M&Ms because that, I don't know if it was true or not. I didn't know if it was an urban legend or not, but the red dye and the red M&Ms supposedly caused cancer or something like that, so they recalled them. And then hmm. many years later, they brought them back and they made a big deal or deal like, the red ones are back, you know, because for years... Huh, I don't have, remember that. Yeah, um, for years I, we didn't have red M&Ms. <laughs> huh. Red dye number, whatever it is. I mean, I still see that. I think it was red up. number nine, I believe it was. I don't know why I remember red that. Red lake number 10 or nine or something like that. But I almost, I kind of hear from you, Chris, right now, the way you're describing this is maybe culture hasn't changed all that much. I no, mean, it really hasn't. <laughs> we're still partaking in things that hurt us. I'm not sitting in front of a bunch of fried food right now. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> No, not at all. Not at all. Well, and, and I mean, we all feel we're invincible, I think. And children, especially, they don't think they're going to die. Um, and I think the parents also are in, everyone's in denial about how bad something is for us. Oh, I'll just have a puff of this or I'll just have a, a drink of this and it, it, it shouldn't harm me that much. So, I don't know. I mean, it was well known that... Um, there was, there were many toxic things for sale. Uh, there's a horrible punch cartoon uh, by John Leach showing this little girl and, and says, you know, if you'll fill up this bottle with some laudanum for mom, and certainly, ma'am, is there any other article you'd like, you know, just selling toxic products to a small child? There was something I wanted to ask you about, and I, you probably, I'm not sure if you know anything about this or not. This, this has popped in my head for years. I've been wanting to ask you. There's always these stories, and one of them is actually true because it happened in Sparta, Michigan, where people will set up like these fake hanging things or something like that at like haunted houses or so forth. Oh, yeah. And the contraptions will go wrong, and they'll actually yep. end up hanging, and no one will notice it until way, way right. after it's over with. Yep. This happened in Sparta, Michigan many years ago. This guy had set up a thing in his front yard to do a hanging thing and the catch in the back where there's a harness or whatever that goes in the back. So it looks like they're hanging, but they're actually hanging from the harness. The harness gave way and the guy actually died and he yes. just hung there and he hung there for a while. It, do, do you, you know about these stories? Obviously you've heard of these. Yep. And they're not just urban legends. I, I've there, I, I can't put my hand on it this second, but there, I know there's at least one 19th century story where that happened. Where the child, there was also a child, I can recall, where he was, you know, like, oh, let's just see what this is like to his friends. And he's hanging there, strangling to death, and they're watching. They're like, oh, this is interesting. And he died. Um, so <laughs> He died. <laughs> he died. What else happens? Yeah, exactly. you know, it's, 19, it's the 19th century. It's a, it's a story about a 19th century child. What else? Um but I, I, that's not just an urban legend. It, it, it has happened. I mean, obviously, in the 19th century, we're not necessarily talking about um, a haunted house attraction because mm -hmm. they didn't do that then. But, well, you're, we're talking about toxic products. And last year, I remember there was a warning about um, 
some kind of face paint. You know, they're saying face paint is so much safer, you know, for children than masks because they can see. Well, this mother had a warning about some product that had caused her child to have some sort of horrible reaction to it, broke out in blisters. And I don't know what was in it. Um, it I, I'm not sure whether it was, where it was made, but um, it had something toxic in it. So even today, those products are being sold. I remember a recall of children's jewelry because it was made of cadmium and very poisonous. Uh, kids would put it in their mouth and, and ingest the stuff. Wow. So but, it's kind of interesting. Uh, not Sorry to interrupt. I am a face painter. Ah. And uh, the paints that I purchase have to be shipped in from Australia because they are specially made. They are absolutely tested to try and avoid every single possible allergy. Wonderful. Right? But they're 20 bucks per color. And oh. a lot of people will, like, turn away from that mm-hmm. and say, don't worry, I'll just get this thing that says face paint. And you end up with situations <laughs> like that. Yep. It was $5. And one story that I heard, there was a guy that was face painting. And when the uh, the people that were putting on the, uh, what are those festivals called? I don't know what it festivals. is. It was like a carnival or something like that. And they walked by and the dude um, was just pouring out acrylic paints, putting <gasps> them directly on children's oh. faces and things like that. And when they went to go get the cops, the guy had already cleared out. But he was, oh. you know, banking 20 bucks a face for <sighs> something that possibly could have lead and other things. So, oh my gosh. you know, there's there's products that are not that great that are being advertised with the toxic materials. We have people with a blatant disregard because yep. they just want to make money and there's an ignorance about it. So I, it seems like we're still in the same space of not caring. <laughs> yeah, that may just be the human condition. <laughs> I remember I had this zombie Halloween mask that was made out of, um, what's the rubber stuff that was, it was called, oh God. Um, Light, latex? Yeah, it was, I don't, know how, I don't know why I forgot that word. But I, there was no, there was a little tiny slit for the left eye. And the right one kind of had a slit, but you really couldn't see what the hell you were doing or anything, you know? And it was a cool <laughs> mask. It was like a $200 or $250 mask. I worked at this Halloween shop uh, for the whole month, and the guy paid me that mask at the end of it. I was so proud of this mask because it was super expensive, and there's no way in hell, as a, as a 17-year-old kid, I'm going to be able to go out and buy this zombie mask. And I had it for years, but I remember wearing it and I, I fell flat on my face because I didn't oh. see, I couldn't see the curb and down I went, you know, right into the guy's ditch. <laughs> I think I fell wow. off the porch too. The guy gave me some candy and I turned around and went to step and there was no step there and I went ah. into Yeah, I fell into his hedge. So Ouch. Well the hedge didn't hurt. The face plant uh out of nowhere with the, the with the curb. That that was a little bit more um disconcerting. But landing in the guy's hedge was more embarrassing than anything. <laughs> Wait, what year was that? Oh, God. It was in the 80s, of course. It was probably, I want to say 84, maybe, 84, 85, or something like that. So, Chris, these stories you're talking about, what time frame are them? Are they? Uh, late 19th century. Okay. And so very, and very early 20th. So, yeah. Yeah, and nothing much has changed. I guess so. <laughs> I was expecting it, but guess not. No. And uh, in, in one case, this, this girl died from the grease paints that she used um, to paint her face for a masquerade. Uh, she went as Satan, which seems to be tempting fate. 
Um, she was also an instructor in chemistry. You'd think she would know better, but she was unable to remove her homemade grease paints when she got back from the party. And apparently she died a couple of weeks later from blood poisoning. Oh it just God. seems inconceivable. But, you know, 1908, no antibiotics. Uh, you didn't have a lot of treatments. So that's what happened. So I've given up the idea of going as Satan for trick-or-treat. <laughs> um, the only thing that comes to my mind is this poor woman... She died two weeks later, but she couldn't get the paint off. So she was Satan for two weeks. And then yeah, if she yeah. had her open casket funeral. And she, yeah, that, that would be startling, wouldn't well, it? Well, all right. So uh, Dr. Johnson uh, passed from an unfortunate circumstance. <laughs> I mean, what would you say at the eulogy? Oops. Yeah. Uh, well, it said that she was kept at home and they, the local people tried to remove the paints, the doctors, and then she was taken to Chicago for treatment. And it really doesn't say what happened after that, except she did die. So yeah, she, I mean, it, it took a while, but it still got her in the end. Well, do you want to move on to happier topics, Shelley? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> do you want to let's let's talk about the Jack Horner pies? This is off of your this is Daffodil Digress's blog because you have a couple yeah. of different blogs right, that right. I know of. So, yeah. um, for a refresher, what are the differences between the blogs? By the way, you've got you've got the Victorian Book of the Dead blog, and then you've got Mrs. Daffodil right. Digresses. Right. Well, Mrs. Daffodil does costume history and um, various cultural material and popular culture of the 19th and early 20th century and a lot of snark. Um, so the Victorian Book of the Dead is just articles about Victorian death and mourning. It's, it, there's no commentary on it. It's just primary sources. Mm -hmm. so. and, and Mrs. Daffodil's primary sources, but she always adds her own commentary. So Jack Horner Pies. Never yeah, Jack Horner Pies. You know, I ran this by somebody and they were like, well, how in the world do you keep the crust from not going soggy? Well, it was not really a pie. It was sort of a lucky dip. Um, you put it out in, at any party and you had ribbons that went into the box or the container. It was usually cardboard or something. It was all decorated. It could look like a pumpkin. It could look like a witch. It could look like a doll or a black cat. And you would... Each guest would pull the ribbon, and there would be a little favor that came out. So it was sort of, you know, a specialty way of distributing party favors to children. And they were held, not they were given out not only at um, Halloween, but a lot of holidays. They had one for Christmas and stuff. And some of them look like pies, but they were all made of paper. Um, let's see, there was one... It was shaped like a witch, and and the uh, it had little black cats around the edge, and uh, they you know they just had little dime store trifles. They said uh, a pail of bright apples, a black rake, a black cat, a green frog, a carrot, a cucumber, or an onion. Um, garden vegetables seemed to be eminently appropriate for Halloween. I'm not sure why they would think that. 
um, unless they were made out of sugar. But um, in any case, it says the more novel the Jack Horner pie, the more amusing it will seem. So a lot of ingenuity was used. They were expensive, though. Um, there was one that was made to look like a big paper pumpkin. It cost $10 in 1911. So that's pretty expensive. But it was just a little way to give out favors instead of having a, a swag bag that you put at each place. So it was a bowl of dip is what you're saying. No, what? not really. No, no. It, it, it was like a box okay. in most cases. Um, one was shaped like a pie. One was shaped like a pumpkin. And then you would have the prizes inside attached to a ribbon. Okay. And you'd pull the ribbon, and the ribbon would, you know, would pull the prize out. When I said lucky dip, that's a, a okay. different thing. I thought you meant there you, was a dipper. I'm like, I'm envisioning I'm, this bowl I'm sorry, of, like, no. of like nacho cheese dip or something. No, you no, know, no. Lucky well, dip. I, I'm in the same boat. And plus, I'm pretty sure a lot of listeners here, my visual of Jack Horner pie is the old nursery rhyme with the, sure, you know, yeah. kid up with the thing on his thumb. So yeah, where did... Yeah this concept come from that you could pull out a prize from this you paper pulled pumpkin. out a plum oh so it's not truly like the american pie thing where someone's gonna dip body part in and hurt themselves it's more like <laughs> no. Oh no yeah i said it i am sincerely sorry <laughs> no no um, but that's so that's so interesting it's just like i'm so tired of putting these little bags together let's just make them draw the string and get yeah. a, a vegetable. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It. Yeah. Oh, I got garlic. <laughs> I got a parsnip. Woo. I'll trade you. I, I can't imagine like that. Died. That's going good over. for me. The visual that I had is a bowl of dip with like things going into it and you would pull it out <laughs> and there would be I'm like a, a prize at the end. No, it's okay. Cause I, I'm still envisioning food. Cause you hear the word pie. I'm thinking food. Right. Yes. And I'm yes. thinking it's like a thing of like ranch dip and you pull it out and there's like a piece of paper with a prize on the end of it covered in ranch dip or something. And I'm like, what, what, what is, I mean, Nothing surprises me anymore, but like, <laughs> well, what? lucky dip is a different thing. It's it's sort of like this. It's a, in some cases, it's a bowl. Well, it's not. It's a big container of bran cereal thing, and you hide the pies, the prizes in this bowl, and kids burrow in it and dig through until they find, and that's a lucky dip. Oh, man. All I'm thinking about oh. is kids with disgusting fingers just rummaging yeah, through the food. <laughs> well, I'm even like that cute little, like, prize thing that I always played as a kid where it's the fishing hole. and you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you hook something. Yeah. Attaches something. Yeah. So as a little kid, yeah. Um, so this I, is kind of like that. You know, you, you're yeah. pulling on something to get a prize. And that's adorable. I love that idea. But it's something you're going to try to bring back at some point, isn't it? <laughs> I could totally see you doing this. Little charms, too, because I need to collect husbands since I'm in Utah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween charms. Well, if you need to look for your hus for a husband for Halloween, then the things you have to do are as follows. You have to walk downstairs backwards, looking in a mirror in one hand and eating an apple with another. Not at all dangerous. Not at all dangerous. I just wonder no. how many people fell to their deaths doing this. And the man of your dreams will appear in the mirror. You also have to set up a um, 
someone has to set this up for you in front of the fireplace. Um, the, there's a fire and you label nuts. That's, that's eating nuts, not male nuts that, uh, with names of people you have in mind prospects and you put them in the fire and whichever one pops, that one is your true love. Chris, um, let's see. I'll keep going. I'm just and kidding. Then what was the other one? Um, somebody had to set up three bowls of water. Well, two bowls of water, one clear water, one with some dark matter in it, like dirt or ink and an empty saucer. And you were blindfolded and you were brought up to the saucers and you put your hand out. And if you touched the empty one, you would never marry. If you touched the dark one, water one, you would marry a widower. If you touch the clear water, you'd be married soon. So, top tips. Wasn't there something where there'd be something with a bunch of names tossed in, and if your name was drawn or something to do with your name was pulled or happened, you'd be dead within a year or something like that? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, I know there's a lot of... There's a lot of weird like Halloween, that. like this yeah, bizarre there was traditions like putting, that. Putting... Um, like a rock with your name in it in the fire and the rock that's thrown out of the fire in the morning is the dead person is the person that's going to die. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to play that game. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't want to play that game either. I really don't see a purpose in doing that. <laughs> we, we have a, we have a tradition in our family. My grandfather could tell when people were going to die. And I have that to some extent where I can like see a skull over somebody's face when they're going to die. Yeah. I don't want to meet so, you in person. Yeah. This is probably <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> God. When, when that happens, do you actually tell the person like, Hey, you're going to die? Oh, hell no. <laughs> like, Usually it's somebody I don't know. That's what's unsettling is like, you just walking down the street and it's like, he's a goner. Man. To, to be the There's nothing. I mean, who's going to listen to to a stranger say you really ought to get your affairs in order? You know that that doesn't work. That'd that creep doesn't. me out. That would really a. It'd be like, are you going to kill me? Do I need to call the cops? And on top of that, it's like, <laughs> yeah. well, how am I going to die? What's going to happen here? Yeah, and I don't know. I, that's that's not something that I'm I'm privy to. I just know that there's they're on their way out. I've actually heard a lot of communities of color talk about um, you see death on someone. Yes, yes, very much so. In the voodoo tradition, I've heard that. Yeah. So yeah. It's something is that akin to what you're talking about for you? No, I'm Swiss. Um, so I, I don't know where it comes from. It's just it's a generational thing. Uh, because his father had it. And my grandfather had it. It skipped my father. And then my daughter and I both have it. So I'd rather have flawless skin. That seems like a terrible thing to me. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, that's that's just our little family quirk. We were supposed to go into the Dow's Ghost next, but um, Shelley also wanted to talk. You guys both want to talk about haunted objects, so I guess we sure. could do that with talking about the Dow's Ghost, and then if you want to go into haunted objects from there, if you've got any additional ones you'd like to add. For that. Sure, I've got loads of haunted objects. Well, this was the ghost of a doll, but it's it's it wasn't really a ghost. It was a but it was a really creepy story. This little girl died, as children often did, and um, she was buried with her favorite doll, who was named Flory, um, and her little playmates 
started coming home from the park saying, we saw the ghost of Flory in the park. And she's got a new mistress. There's a little girl carrying her around. And they traced back, you know, that um, they, you know, somebody went to the park and tried to catch this girl. And the girl flew away and left the doll behind. It was the doll. Now, why was that? Was it the ghost of, of a doll? No, it was the actual doll. Well, how did that happen? Turned out they dug up the coffin and the child's body had been stolen. So he apparently, whoever stole the body, sold the doll to a local toy shop. And, and then the little girl, somebody bought it for her from, from the toy shop. Uh, what was weird was, let's see, <clears throat> I'm going to read what they said about it. The investigation that followed resulted in the detection of a miscreant who had more than once used his means of access at all hours to the cemetery for the purpose of stripping the bodies of the recent dead. And even, it was darkly hinted, sometimes devoting them to the nutriment of the tenants of his sty. The wretch, was, wretch was, was condemned to the light penalty of a year's imprisonment. Maybe he bribed the judge with some succulent sausage or something, but I don't know what the, this, this happened in France. And mm -hmm. if it had happened in England, um, bodies were not property. When you body snatched, you bought, you were stealing nothing of value and nothing that belonged to anyone. So that really wasn't a crime. If you stole a shroud or a coffin handle or a silver coffin plate or something, you could be charged with a felony and sent a, you know, transported or sent to jail. So I don't know what the deal was um, over in France or Germany, but in England, you couldn't have gotten away with this. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have gotten just a year's imprisonment. So what ended up happening with the doll? I don't know. That the, the there is no ending to the story in terms of they never it doesn't sound like they found the body of the child. It sounded like the guy was looting coffins not so much for the bodies but for the the contents. Yeah. Rings so he and sold stuff the like doll. That, yeah. There's a horrible story uh, about a guy who was stealing clothing from corpses and reselling it on the secondhand clothing market and they caught him and all these bereaved families started coming and they, you know, they would see something they would say, Oh, there's the stockings I darned for my poor dead husband and burst into tears because they knew that he, his grave had been disturbed. And that, that was extremely disturbing to anyone. Um, I'm sure it would be today, but it was especially disturbing then, but he was making quite a good, living um, selling secondhand clothes from corpses and there was also a scandal where medical students you know the body snatchers were not bothering to strip the bodies they were just selling them with the clothes and the medical students were wearing the clothes oh yeah oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, no okay to be fair when you're stealing a corpse to be dissected you want something really fresh 
you, you don't want somebody that's been in the grave for a couple of months. So to be fair, the clothes probably weren't in too bad a shape uh, because they'd only been in the grave maybe 24 hours. And they were quite refined clothes at times. I mean, I've been a starving student, but I've also chosen clothing for people when they've passed. So mm. I, I understand the concept of my God, this is a nice suit. Yes, exactly. I don't want to toss this. And then you're, you know, maybe you got a really hot day. You get it in your nice fine suit, <laughs> walking down the street, and unfortunately, you walk right past that family, and, and they're like, "Hey, hey, <laughs> oh, I, I sewed that monogram on there myself a week ago." Yeah. Uh, I got it at the same store. I mean, wow. Well, then you've got that urban legend about the girl who falls down dead from formaldehyde poisoning at the dance because she was wearing a gown that had been taken off a corpse. I heard that. Permeated with the fluid. (sighs) Good old legends. That one I heard. I grew up with that one. Yeah. Um, But I was uh, pre-med for a while and unfortunately... Uh, did taste some formaldehyde because oh. someone was like spraying it down. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I'm still here. <laughs> it's probably not the best to have it on you, but I don't know about the dress. Yeah, I, I don't know if you could actually die from that, but you can die from ingesting embalming fluid. I've written about that. Um, Uh-oh. In a, let's see, it was, a, <laughs> was it called... Oh, now I've lost the name of it. But um, it, the, the embalmers, you know, used toxic fluids. And there was a custom of the undertaker bringing a container of that to the wake, which was usually held at the house. And you would sprinkle the face of the corpse or you'd sprinkle it on exposed parts to keep it dissect, you know, from being too noxious. But they were very careless with this fluid. They would put it in teacups and bottles and people drank it because there was a lot of alcohol served at these wakes and they thought it was whiskey. Oh. One, um, one fellow, one, one um, undertaker put it in a champagne bottle and left it at the house. You know, you just imagine the carnage. So lots of carelessness with embalming fluid or it, some one family was poisoned when somebody put cider in a cask that had held embalming fluid and it still was labeled embalming fluid. But and they sued. There was a big lawsuit over that. But um, yeah, different times. So what else do you got for haunted objects? You got any more dogs? And no nice more day. dolls. <laughs> no more dolls. Thank God. I've got wait, a wait, 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 wait. I need to know the story behind that. What do you mean, no more dolls? Did you have a bunch at your house? No, no, I don't have any any um well, I don't have any physical dolls anyway, but I don't have any doll stories. They're not common in nineteenth century or early twentieth century literature. It's only later, it's only like in the last, I'd say thirty years or so. That they've become sort of a horror movie theme uh, because they're not a Victorian horror theme at all. There's one or two stories 
that I can think of, and that and there aren't any more. It's just not there's there's not a lot of haunted dolls in the vic- actual Victorian period. It sounds a lot like it's a American th- kind of thing thing too. Like it seems more it prominent is. in the it in this is. United States culture than it is yeah. in European cultures. Absolutely, yeah, and it's also. I mean, with the rise of eBay, uh, you see, you know, haunted dolls on there. And I look at these dolls because I, I do know about how to date a doll. And they all seem to be these sort of, um, they're, they, they're made in China and they've all got these pale porcelain faces and nylon hair that never stays put. It always goes bad. And they're all dressed Victorian and they're claiming these are Victorian dolls. <laughs> it's like, no, that was made maybe two weeks ago overseas so yeah let me ask you this then chris Mm -hmm. what is your favorite haunted object of all time favorite haunted object of all time there's a treasure in england called the cheapside hoard and it was um found underneath a building that they were uh tearing down in what used to be the jewelry district um, and the actual place it was found and who exactly found it was kind of a mystery because these guys who found it took it to a well-known, I, w- I don't want to say fence, but antiques dealer in the neighborhood because it was actual jewels and gold. And he gave them some money for it. And then they, they finally found the, uh, rest of it. But there was a lot of trouble because it was never really ascertained, you know, the provenance, who owns it. Um, and it, it, it's kind of distressing that we don't know more about it. But it's one of the best collections of Tudor ju- or Jacobean jewelry, Elizabethan jewelry that you've ever seen. There's emeralds and there's a there's a watch case carved out of a single piece, a single giant emerald. Um, so anyway, let me look this up so I can give you the actual facts about it because it soon became apparent that it was haunted. There we go. Another thing was an emerald salamander. It's just lovely. So they brought them into the, um, the official of the London Museum put them in his study and in the meantime, I told the treasury about it because you had to declare this. It was treasury trove, treasure trove. The jewels arrived about six o'clock one evening, about 10 o'clock, although it was a warm June night. The official and his wife and daughter experienced a sensation of cold and shivering in the place where the jewels had been placed. Later, an art student friend who claimed to possess occult powers called at the house and was shown into the study and said he... She saw a person, I'm sorry, he saw a thin, tall man in Elizabethan costume who looked very angry. And the apparition said, these are my jewels. What right have you to them? And even after the jewels had been placed in the London Museum, a professional medium who didn't know what had happened said he saw a man standing by the side of his daughter who had cleaned the jewelry when it was in the house. Uh, another woman spiritualist, when shown the jewels at the London Museum, fainted. She accounted for her illness by explaining that she had seen blood on a gold neck chain among the jewels, and she'd sensed that the woman who'd originally wore it had been murdered by someone who wished to possess it. 
So just the fact that there's this whole collection of jewels that are supposed to be haunted, uh, they're on display. They've got a great exhibit at the London Museum, um, but whether they're still haunted or not, if anybody's seen the Elizabethan guy hanging about, that would be that would be great. I would Ano- love to see that. Another haunted object is a is a black velvet jacket that was used as a costume on stage. I think it was in London. Uh, I can't give you the details, but any actress that tried it on felt as if she was being strangled, and it got tighter and tighter and tighter. And they uh, they finally had to retire the costume because it. Uh, they couldn't figure out, you know, who had worn it initially. I'm sure somebody came up with the idea that, you know, whoever wore it was um, strangled by their husband or something. But uh, I like haunted clothing. I had a haunted clothing. I had a store. Of, I sold vintage clothing and there was a haunted garden party dress there. Uh, th- well, this woman picked it up and she like went into a trance and she said I see a lake I see picnic you know I see this woman wearing this dress <laughs> I'm like okay whatever <laughs> it's fascinating possibly we the pheromones left by sweat can make it possible to pick up some vision or something from the clothing hmm so what else you got or do you want to move on to haunted highways Oh, well, let's see. Um, I had a good Ouija board story. Oh, those are always good. Okay, let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and I've got a haunted trunk, too. Let's see. Oh, my gosh. I could go all night with these. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, these, I use the fake name. I use fake names in this because the lady did not want her name used. Okay, this lady was worried about her elderly neighbor. She saw that she was failing. Old Mrs. Phillips was in her 70s, and up until now, she'd lived by herself, but something had changed. Uh, She told her neighbor that men who said they were from the gas company came into the house and stole things. So she tried to soothe her, but Mrs. Phillips got angrier and angrier and accused her of being in cahoots with the thieves, and next day, the lady had just forgotten all about it. And then she started hearing voices. And once her neighbor heard her say, if you think it's a good idea, I'm tired. You do what you want. Well, every day, Mrs. Phillips sat in her armchair and watched Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. And she laid out a game of solitaire on a board across her lap. Uh, Her neighbor was helping her washing the supper dishes when she heard a commotion. The cat streaked by and she found Mrs. Phillips on the floor surrounded by the playing cards and her lap board. She's swearing up a storm, you know, the cat tried to kill me. Well, she helped her back to her chair and tried not to show her shock because normally Mrs. Phillips would never, ever say a profane word. She dusted her off and started stacking the cards on the board. Now she saw for the first time had markings on the underside. She looked at it and there was yes and no and a sun and a moon and the words Ouija, mystic oracle were printed on the board. She wanted to grab the board and run it out to the trash, but she says, you know, I think when you fell, the board bent, so it won't fit across the arms of your chair anymore. Should I find you a new one? Stupid cat, she muttered. Yeah, you might as well get rid of the thing. So 
she took the board out to the trash can and the trash took truck took it away and the next day her neighbor was back to her old alert self no voices no visions no paranoia just like that time to say goodbye <laughs> oh my goodness that's terrible <laughs> with regards to ouija boards do you feel that there's something to them or, or, or are you of the school where it's just a, it's just a game there's nothing actually to it or anything like that well i'm of two minds I don't think it's just a game because people put a lot of energy into it. And I think that draws that can you can think about it two ways. It either you're putting too much energy into something and you're sort of manifesting your own subconscious and scaring yourself. Uh, you know, you think about it, you know, is your grandmother who's supposed to be enjoying the bliss of heaven going to come back and start pushing around a little plastic pointer for the slumber party girls? I don't think so. Um, or you can look at it as you're putting all this energy into it and you're drawing something to yourself that shouldn't be there. And I don't really know. Also allowing it to use you to be able to move the planchette around. So you're inviting something yep. into yourself consciously. Yep. Saying yep. use me as a way to do this, to which communicate, yeah, yeah. In my opinion, that's a bad idea because you don't yep. know what's out there that's yep. you're letting in. You know, you don't know if it's actually Uncle Milton or if it's something else. You know, um, that's the trouble. Yeah, yeah. They, you get the lying spirits. You get the impersonators. Yeah, it's there's so. not really like there's not really like a lie detector test for <laughs> spirits or anything like that. You can't, <laughs> no. you know. It's not like you no. can see the person that's you're inviting. Yeah, here, use me to move this planchette around or what have you. So I, I myself am not sure, you know. Says the man who has a Ouija board blanket. Oh, my goodness. You do? Oh, yeah. I've got you a Ouija have board a Ouija blanket. Board blanket? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. And I also got a Ouija board glass. Um, I, I mean, I, I got them from uh, I think it was Halloween USA or something last year. Uh -huh. um, right before the end of the, the season, I went and got them for a really good deal. And I remember giving them to my daughter, my youngest daughter. I said, here, you are giving me these for Christmas because nobody else in this family, because I'm, I'm married to a very, um, a very Pentecostal conservative religious uh -huh. family. And uh -huh. the idea of me saying, hey, will you get me this Ouija board blanket and glass would float very much the way a brick <laughs> doesn't. So... <laughs> my yeah. my youngest daughter, she doesn't care. Like she knows I've got books on magic and all this. And she's like, yeah, whatever. That's dad. He's weird. So I'm like, here, you're going to give me these for Christmas. And I actually, it's funny. You should say that I have it draped across my, my legs right now because it's getting kind of chilly up here in Michigan. It's really strange that you should bring that up actually. But, um, so yeah, I've got this Super really warm, open up yeah. portals, whatever. Just enjoy my Sunday evening. Yeah. Why is it getting cold? That's the question is why is it getting cold? <laughs> oh, it's cold outside. It's not the Ouija board blanket is not making me cold. But I'm not also keep telling yourself that, Ro. Like, yeah, I keep telling yourself. <laughs> I guess I could make a giant planchet out of a pizza box or something, and I could probably use the blanket as a Ouija board. Oh, my God. Oh, did you see? Did you see that giant Ouija board? And I think it's in Salem. Yeah. Yeah. It was immense. I'm like, what are you thinking? It's 2020. We've already got enough trouble. Yeah, but again, you're not going to walk up and grab the uh, planchet. It takes like four people to move that thing or whatever. So right. it's not as easy as moving the little planchet, it you know? It takes four humans. Yeah. <laughs> you just might not take more than one human 
if other things start playing. Exactly. And I'd like to point out with haunted objects, I have told Ro this, and I will say this to the audience now. Right before 2020 started, Zach Baggins got the Dybbuk box and opened it. Oh, no. I blame Zach Baggins for all of 2020. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Oh, is he the guy that bought... Is he the guy that bought the demon house in Indiana? Probably. Did he do that too? I think I he did that too. He's just asking for it. My goodness. He is yeah, I actually the paranormal frat road. boy. <laughs> yeah. I my I actually call him my douchebag boyfriend because he's so cute, <laughs> but he is so stupid. And that that museum of his oh people say to me, they're like, You've got to go. You love haunted things. And I'm like, that place? No. He's no. got not just one, not just two. He has three divot boxes now. He wants to gather them all together and open it. No. Oh, it's like gathering the rings. <laughs> That's right. One ring uh, to rule them all. Shot one worn by Zach Baggins. Yeah, but how many of those are real? How many of those boxes are actually, like, do we know about the one that the guy said well, he would again, never sell and he did? Again, oh. you're putting energy into it, you know, whether it's real or not. It's like you're activating something just by believing in it or, or using it. I don't know. I could sure get a little empty box, throw some things in it, tell him it's the fourth one. Yeah. <laughs> Pay off a few loans, whatever, because it seems like that guy falls for everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. He even held Robert the doll. Why? I don't, I don't know how much I put into that, though, because I know if I take my pizza cutter... Like, I don't know if how much of if I believe that that is a demonic haunted pizza cutter, if it's actually going to become a demonic haunted pizza cutter. Right. Yeah. You know, but I if don't. You've got multiple people believing it. And he's got a lot of people persuaded that this stuff is real. Like right now, I just joined this group on Facebook that has to do. It's a lobster cult. It's a fake cult. It's all about like, <laughs> no, serious. It's, it's funny. It's this is my it conversation. Is little, so why it's, not? Is melted butter your sacrament? No, but that oh, is another fuck, splinter yes. group that left it and became another group called uh, Ramekin of Sentient Butter. But we're going to get to that. <laughs> I'm serious. This is hysterical. <laughs> Somebody started this group. It was uh, some uh, this. My buddy James found it and posted it on our Facebook page. And it's a group called Seeks to Create a Leviathan Lobster God. And the idea is that lobsters oh. don't die from old age. They die because they can't molt out of their shells anymore. So the joke right. was... We're going to create this, we're going to take a lobster and we're going to help it molt and just keep it growing and growing and growing until we have a giant lobster leviathan. Well, that group splintered off into a group called Seeks to Eat the Giant Lobster God that the other group is creating. (laughs) And that group splintered off into a group called Ramekin of Sentient Butter. So these are all spoof religions. And then that in turn splintered off into like eight different groups that are now warring with one another. So you have the Lopsifarians battling it out in different Facebook groups with the Order of the Red Claw, which in turn you have the other groups that are fording. It's it's hysterical how this all came about. And it's actually becoming yeah. – now it's That's becoming amazing. serious. So the idea now is it's like, okay, you've got this lobster. Like nobody can – we're all – everybody's fighting over what the theme song should be for the – I said rock lobster and a few people agreed with me. Um, but like like people will show up, I, I have eaten a red lobster. Am I allowed here? And it's like, well, let, let he, he was without sin cast the first claw. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and it's really funny to sit back and watch this happen because it's turning into a study in religion and how religions are born and how they splinter off and how these things – happen right you know even though this is a joke religion it's just 
you know, people are just going all over the well, map with it. <laughs> so think think yeah. of the flying spaghetti monster. You could exactly. be on the cutting edge of this. Yes, you know, and I am I am a member of the Church of the Subgenius, and I've also you know member okay. of Dudism, the Church of the Dude. <laughs> So I'm like, sure, mm-hmm. I'll join this religion. You know, we can never have too many saviors. So the conversation I find myself having with my friends now is, oh, yeah, you should join this cult I'm part of. We worship a giant lobster god. I you know, <laughs> I will send you an invite. Is there garlic butter? That is the other group, the sentient, that the ramekin of sentient butter. This is for real. I mean, you could go on Facebook and find these groups. They're hysterical. Oh, my gosh. Peace out. I must go for the cheddar biscuits and the garlic butter. That is another thing that is frequently brought up. That is our communion wafer, which is the garlic biscuits. So, but anyhow, back to the point. I'm like, I don't know if people believe in this giant lobster enough, if this is, if this giant lobster is actually going to become a god. So I go back to the Dybbuk box, you know, okay, we, we know about the main Dybbuk box. We've had this conversation a few times, myself and Shelly have. But the other Dybbuk boxes, it's like these people just jumping onto the bandwagon like, oh, I've got a Dybbuk box, too, because up until that box came out and all of the story and the background story of it, nobody really had heard of what a Dybbuk box, a Dybbuk was or what the box was, the Mm -hmm. artifacts that were in the box. You know, Mm -hmm. I remember when the original post was put up on, on eBay, me and a buddy of mine found it years ago. And we're like, what? You know, and then. Years later, when it all went down, my buddy was convinced that it was just all viral marketing for a movie or something like that, that it took place right. over a span of like 12 years. I'm like, right. yeah, the Bible is viral marketing for the movie that came out for Moses. Okay, under that idea. Anyways. <laughs> anyways. Well, you know, you find the same thing with these vampire killing kits. Yes, that's an- I was going to bring that up, too. They're not real. They may have 19th century elements in them, but they're not real. They never were put together as a vampire kit in the 19th century as they're being sold and i that offends me i mean that's it's fake history it's it's you know profiting from fraud but wow this is uh, the more you know moment for me i did not know that about those oh, really oh okay no. well Where you look you-, you can look at them and you can identify some of the the separate elements i mean i can identify like crucifixes from last uh, you know last rites kits and they, they're very careful about sourcing authentic objects like a, a, a Derringer or something like that. But they're, no, they're not real. Uh, they were never put together in the 19th century. They're probably the last two decades, maybe the 80s is at the earliest. I can't uh, tell you how many times I've seen those in like the yeah, Ripley Believe yeah. It or Not museums. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're huh. popular, but they're fake. And it's upsetting to me as a historian to see this kind of stuff peddled as, as fake. Same thing with, you know, Dybbuk boxes and, and stuff. It's, it's mm-hmm. sort of making it up as you go along. Same thing with tear bottles, um, Victorian tear bottles. There's lots of people out there selling. They're very pretty little bottles, but they were perfume flasks. They were never used as the Victorians didn't do that. Um, I, I've, studied this at length in terms of looking for primary sources and doesn't it it was never a thing it's only in the last again couple of decades that the tear bottle myth has emerged and people are making money off of it so so chris i gotta ask you as a fellow historian um i'm actually quite lazy with my research when i realized how difficult it gets before 1940, with kind of documentation being very formally, categorically 
uh, either provided or scanned. It's, you know, I was just trying to get through college, but you are talking about, and your blog talks about a lot of things that would be exceptionally difficult to find the source materials as well as being able to verify. Could you tell me a little bit more about the kind of extensive research you do, the sources and where you would regularly find them? I, I look at newspapers a lot online. Um, you know, I've got newspapers going back to the 18th century in various databases. And, you know, you're just looking for keywords and sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. Um, Google Books, you know, again, keywords. You've got a lot of literature online that you could never access through unless you had a very good library or you had a library that was willing to do a lot of interlibrary loan, which people don't do a whole lot of anymore. Um, and that can get expensive. So those are the, the two primary sources. I like newspapers because they're very current. They're, they talk about ephemeral things that didn't make it into the history book always. Um, and I always try to look for, you know, something like a tear bottle. I went looking for sources and what I found was nobody was talking, everybody was talking about this happened 2000 years ago in it's a biblical reference, uh, or it's found in archeological deposits. It's a grave reference. Um, nobody talks about it as being a contemporary custom, except as a joke. They say, you know, it, it's sort of a symbol of when it's ever used, it's used as a symbol of um, over-exaggerated grief, like you're faking it. So there was never, but I, I see these books, you know, written in the last 10 years saying, yes, uh, they would have parties where everybody would cry into the bottle and then they would send it to their loved one who was out in the Civil War field um, to show them how much they were missed. And I'm like, what? They're just making it up as, as they go along because this did not happen. So, Yeah, I, I, I could see that. And as a historian, I can appreciate that. You would want to look for commonalities, things that are regularly mentioned in newspapers as a medium. It's really fascinating how you can get so many different voices, so many different audiences, keen focus on like a local or national. It's, I could definitely see that. Um, and now you that can't, actually, uh, let, let me interrupt there. You, you, there's, there's a big ca caveat with this uh -huh. newspapers is that they lied. <laughs> a lot of stories were just made up. So when Thank you find you. some, what? what? <laughs> fake yeah, news. Fake news. Oh yeah. Tons of <laughs> fake news. Tons of fake news. So you have to look, you know, to verify it through a couple of sources. But um, in fact, I've got a, a very interesting thing when we talk about haunted roads. I can I can share a story I found in a in a newspaper that I've. Oh, I love that. I only so. have one more question for you. Sure. As so the other day I was watching what I call old people prices right the antiques roadshow. Mm -hmm. And they started showing this woman <laughs> who had a collection of Queen Victoria's, uh, her, her socks. And oh, yeah. the historian there, the, the expert was saying that she would wear them once and then give them away. And that made me start to think. Uh, I am very curious about this Victorian morning garb. If we are really talking about an age 
where it, I mean, like you just said with the crying and the tears and stuff like that, we can, you know, easily believe that a bunch of people would have an emo civil war party and then send off tears. It's it's not a large leap because of how much of an emphasis there was on mourning and showing the rest of society that you are a proper widow and all of these other aspects that were largely put on women. Yeah. But how much of it was more of a societal, cultural, fashion statement as opposed to did we really have a society experiencing death at such a level that there was this much grief and it became a collective grieving process through fashion. Okay. Um, what you find is kind of a, there's, there's two ways of looking at it during the time period. One is that I'm terribly bereft. I've lost a child or I've lost a husband and I'm really, really sad about it. The second one is the Merry Widow who has the veil covering her smile. She's showing everybody that she's grieving properly, but look how fashionable she is. She loves shopping for morning clothes. You know, she loves buying the latest in morning jewelry. Uh, there was a lot of, um, it was a very ambiguous position. On one hand, people were told, you know, be kind to the brokenhearted widow. And yet there are literally thousands of widow jokes making fun of how quick the widow is to remarry. Um, there's one joke about a well-to-do lady who was burying her fourth husband. And the undertaker says to her as he's measuring her husband for the coffin. Um, now, this may be kind of bad timing, but um, if you were thinking about taking a fifth, and she sort of clicks her tongue and she says, that's what comes of being precipitous. I just agreed to marry the man who came to shave the corpse. So, you know, there were all these jokes about merry widows and women wanting to remarry quickly. And economically, it certainly made sense because, you know, a lot of times people were left without any resources. But um, I see it as there was a lot of loss people you know died of diseases we would not die of today um, and you had to express your grief somehow um, it was it was considered improper if you didn't wear some sort of mourning but then there were also societies to reform mourning because it was too much it was too expensive uh, the poor were going into debt to purchase mourning clothes the uh, First World War was about when it kind of came to a head because there was they were saying, this isn't good for morale. The soldiers come home and everybody's wearing black. No, nah, that's not going to fly. We need to stop this. And that's when it stopped, except for film stars and royalty. Hmm. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Sure. I could definitely see that. So... Haunted highways. <laughs> Haunted highways. Well, we've got the headless motorcyclist of Elmore. Now, I know this is in Ohio. Um, I know that um, there are headless motorcyclist stories a lot of places, sort of like the Crybaby Bridge. Mm -hmm. But in this case, we've got a guy who supposedly went away to the First World War. <clears throat> 
He came back and he found his best girl had married somebody else. And he roared off down the road on his motorcycle, went off a bridge, under a barbed wire fence, decapitated himself. And you go to that place and it's out in the middle of bloody well nowhere. And you can honk your horn three times, blink your lights three times, and you'll see this light coming down the road and it vanishes in the middle of the bridge. Now, this one guy who was studying folklore took a friend out there and they tied a string across the road in the middle of the bridge. They did their blinking the lights, honking the horns. The light moved down the road, disappeared in the center of the bridge. The string was intact. Then the guy's friend decided to stand in the middle of the bridge. And when he, you know, did the honking and the blinking and he came and found his friend gone, he'd been tossed into a ditch unconscious. So don't really know what was going on there. Um, I've been up there. It's, it's very dark. And people say, well, it's just lights from the highway. But when I started looking into it further, um, I went back to the newspapers. And in the 19-teens and 1920s, this story was current, that there was a light that moved down the, the street and... And there was a, a spook light. But it wasn't a motorcycle. It was a man who'd hung himself in a, some sort of outbuilding right next to the road. And if you walked up to that, you would get knocked flat by the ghost of this guy. So a very interesting way that the story had kind of morphed from a standard spook light and haunted by a suicide, which is a very common ghost theme, to... A headless horse, a headless motorcyclist. So I found that really intriguing. But people still go out there. Um, I was supposed to go a couple of years ago with a buddy of mine. Um, yeah. We were down there for a motorcycle convention and we were talking about, hey, let's go up and see what this place is. Because yeah. we covered this story on the show a long time ago, but it was a real okay. brief article about uh -huh. it. It didn't say a whole lot other than it was haunted by a headless motorcycle guy and it didn't give a right. lot of backstory. It was like, yeah. you know, like on one of those Shadowlands pages or something like that, like those sure. local yeah. urban legend stories or something like that. So when you brought it up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to talk about that because yeah. I didn't know the backstory to it or what have you. And right. it, it sounds like it's one of those stories that started out as one thing and just evolved over time into something else. Yeah. It you know? did. And that really surprised me. And I felt bad because I, you know, I wrote about this in my very first Taunton, Ohio book. And I'm like, oh, I'm spreading fake lore. You know, I didn't have the story. But at that time, when I started out writing the first Haunted Ohio book, um, I didn't have access to these newspaper archives. Mm -hmm. They were not available. And you'd have to go someplace and sit and look at microfilm and you might find something and you might not. And I get seasick scanning microfilm anyway. But um, and that's exactly why I switched to everything after 1940. <laughs> <laughs> because all of those things were just simply not yeah. available. Now, right. I got a question for you. Did you summon the light? I did not. Uh, I just drove along. Um, but I, I was doing a talk at the local library. And a guy came up to me afterwards. And he says, now, I, I went out there. I, I went out there. And I, I blinked my lights three times. And I honked my horn three times. And I looked in my rearview mirror. And what do you think I saw? And I'm like, what? What? Tell me. He says, I saw 30 other cars blinking their lights and honking their horns. <laughs> so kind of a popular spot. 
Um, uh, so, if I were can you imagine ghost, living out there? Throwing people. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine that the farmer who has that air, uh, who where <laughs> oh, the area no. is. Oh my, poor guy. Farmer Bob can't get sleep because of these jerks. He's probably yeah. supporting the throw the people off the bridge uh, <laughs> thing that this ghost does. I would exactly. <laughs> Well, it well, seems like every region of the country has their variant stories on mm-hmm. things like that. We've got one here where a haunted light comes out of the ground. It's actually a lantern that floats down the road for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got the uh, – there's one in Michigan up in northern Michigan called the Paulding Lights, which I've actually yes. been to, and I've seen yes. them firsthand. Oh. And it's, they said the same thing there. It's like, well, what you're seeing is actually the reflection of the lights on the other side of the valley coming right. from the headlights and taillights of yeah. the cars. And they're right and they're wrong because these legends of this light yes. were coming from long before that freeway yeah. was ever there. Exactly. And the other thing is I've been there and I've saw both phenomena happening at the same time. Like you can tell uh-huh. the taillights and the car lights because they are, they are at a constant, I want to say altitude, they're at a constant level. The lights kind of go back and forth and they stay at a certain level. Whereas the Paulding lights take place down lower and they bob and weave and they're different colors and things like that. Uh-huh. So if you're there, because they don't happen all the time, but if you're there when it's happening, you can tell, yes, those are taillights and headlights. Those are something completely different. And the closer you walk down the valley to get to them, you could be just about underneath them and you can't see them. Whereas the people that are up on the ridge can still see the phenomena going on above your head. But wow. because they don't happen all the time, what I think happened is, and I'm not even sure if this is a. I'm not sure if this is an, a a paranormal thing. I my personal belief is that a lot of these lights are caused by something. It's a natural phenomena that's caused by the Earth or something like that. I don't. Sure. Yeah. I don't believe that they're ghosts, but mm-hmm. um, you can you can go there because the Paulding lights look very different than the actual lights. So my theory is is that when the skeptics are there when they were doing this test and they were doing the stuff with the radios and stuff like that. They did indeed see the car and taillights and headlights and were like, yep, that's what it is. And based mm-hmm. off of the evidence of what they had to go on, they came to the logical assumption. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that what they saw actually was the Paulding lights because when I've been there, it's been like, well, I've, I've seen them once and I've been there a couple of times and they weren't there the couple of times, the other couple of times that I was there. Seeing okay, them. so they're not always there. Yeah. No, they're not. They're not always there. And if you're somebody who's of the skeptical mind or somebody that doesn't know any better, you know, if you want to believe you're going to go there and see the headlights and taillights and go, oh, yeah, there's the Paulding lights. That's them. And you're going to mm-hmm. believe that's what you saw. If you're a skeptic. You know, or if you, you know, if you're if you're a believer, you're gonna say, "Yep, those are ghost lights." If you're a skeptic, you're gonna go, "Yep, that's taillights, headlights." But mm-hmm. if you go there when the phenomenon is actually happening, it's weird because they get bright, they get dim, they bob, they weave, they move around. Um, they're orange and green and and, and different colors, mm-hmm. and they they kind of fade to different colors as they're happening. They get brighter and smaller, and you kind of look at that and you go, "Nah, that's not that's not that's not taillights and headlights." And again. Right. This was happening long before those roads were put in place on the other side. Exactly. The local Native Americans yeah. saw yeah. these things. So, uh huh. But um, what is there? I'm not that familiar with the geography of Paulding. Is there gas or oil in the area? What is at the bottom? It's it's a like well, what it originally was was there was a rail line that runs. So there's many legends about it. One of them is that. The rail lines were hooking up trains, and something happened to one of the conductors carrying the lantern, and he was killed. Oh, yeah, the headless conductor. Yeah, so that's one of them where it's the lantern, guy's light floating around. Um, The Native Americans, I'm not sure what their legend is. I believe it's something along the lines of Willow the Wisp. 
So, but originally there okay. was a train line that went through there. Now, and it's uh, it's a valley that cuts between the trees and where telephone poles have been put in place, I believe, or power lines or something like that. It's a, like a, one of those kind of deals out in the middle cut through the woods. Um, what was originally through okay. there, I can't remember what it was. But again, these were legends that the Ojibwa originally talked about. And it's one of those spots in the United States where it's actually, it's a placard there and it's recognized as a legitimate quote unquote haunted spot. Um, like the Bell right. Ridge or something along those lines. Sure. So, you know, yeah. um, but now like there used to be a bridge you could walk down, but now that bridge has all been blocked off and washed out because it's, it's just so old. I don't even know if there's railroad tracks down there or anything left anymore at this point because I haven't been there in a number of years. But uh, I've seen them. I've been there when it's happened and when it's not happening. And I'm like, nah, that's not taillights because you can, you can tell the taillights. You can see them and, and know what they are. Are these areas that are known to have like earthquakes or anything shifting? Because the first yeah. thing that comes to my mind is the tribaluminescence. So yeah. when the different uh, minerals, when they rub against each other, will create lights. a light. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Electric. So, yeah. yeah. Um, very interesting. Very. I don't think Paulding does, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that phenomena is not happening. You know, that's there are mm -hmm. faults that run through Michigan up there. And I don't know if there's one that runs there, but that, I believe that's what a lot of these phenomena actually are there. I, I believe they're that kind of a, a thing with, uh, you know, because earthquake lights have now been proven. So if it happens that way, then it can happen again. So I don't immediately go to, mm -hmm. oh, that's a ghost. And those are whirling around and doing right. those kinds of things and stuff. It is. That's cool. But I, I don't necessarily think it's a paranormal phenomena. It still doesn't mean it's not cool and not an experience to go see or anything like that. Oh, sure. It's, an, it's uh, unknown, yeah. whatever it is. It's yeah, the, the, the very definition of supernatural. But on that note, uh, I would like to state here that if I do die before you row, I will mess with you and probably make these lights show oh, up. It, I'll sweetie. just do whatever. I bring it. I, that'd be yeah, great. Yeah, I know. That'd right? be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw this joke once that was like, um, what is it? Every single ghost seems to be like those ones that uh, appear around the jewels. Stop touching my jewels. Mm. They're dressed fancy and everything. No, I'm going to be the one that's yelling, it's Britney, bitch, at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> because I can't. I, I would, I'd be totally okay with that. I'd be fine with it. You're accepting. Uh, yeah. Your wife's going to wake up. What was that? Yeah. I'd be like, that's no, Shelly being a bitch. Just, just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shelly pulling her stuff. So you said you had a couple of stories about I-17. And then, uh, you know, if, if you want to hang out for a little bit more, if not, oh. that's fine. But uh, I-17. Oh, it's actually I-71. I-71. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, this was, this is um, sort of near Medina, Ohio. And this guy was driving along, and it was late. It was 1 a.m. in the morning, and it looked like there was a guy wearing a light-colored coat walking along the berm. And he's like, what is he doing? I didn't see any car broken down. You know, is he going to ask me for a ride? He got closer. It looked like a guy in his 30s, dark hair, light tan raincoat. And he just kept pondering, you know, should I stop? I bet he's going to try to hitch. So his headlights picked up the man who started to turn and put out his thumb. And he said, I never saw his face. Where his head was seemed to be dark, blanked out. I was real close to him when the headlights went through him. He suddenly looked transparent all over. I could still see him. Then he faded and was gone. And he just floored it getting home. He, was, he says, I wasn't overtired. I wasn't drinking. It wasn't that late for me. I was just concentrating on getting home. 
So next day, he talked to a Cleveland area newspaper reporter who was his friend named Mitch. He says, you're never going to guess what happened. I was driving home from Medina to Berea on I-71, and I saw, and he stopped him. He says, don't tell me. You saw the I-71 hitchhiker. And he said that the sheriffs and the police have had many reports about this vanishing guy. He's driven it a number of times since, but he's not seen the guy since, but Apparently, a lot of people who drive that way do. I used to go up there a lot, and I always looked for him, but I never saw him. Hmm. There, that's another thing you have across the country is the the ghost walking on the side of the road, you know, stop yep. the car, they get out of the car, and then they vanish, and, and all of these kinds of things. So, um, Well, also the facelessness. Yeah. The facelessness. There's a, there's a whole tradition of road ghosts and you never see their face. They either don't have a face or they are walking with their back to you and you can't catch up to them no matter how much you try. So you never see their face. So I'm not sure what that's about, but that's another theme with the, with some of the road ghosts. That's the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? Speaking of road ghosts, I know it's cliche, but I just have to bring it up real quick. Uh, Of course, resurrection, Mary, Mm-hmm. Now, road ghosts, eh, I felt like she was kind of like what we were talking about earlier, the dress with the formaldehyde on it or uh-huh. <laughs> with her going to the dance and them dancing all night. But my favorite thing about her was the night that she was seen in the cemetery gripping the bars. Yes. Yes. I was like, I didn't believe it. I was like, no way, no way. But. The police that removed it, for the listeners who may not have heard this, Resurrection Mary uh, is uh, in the Resurrection Cemetery in Chicago. Um, and she is, supposedly she had uh, died in a car accident after walking home from a dance. After getting in a fight with her boyfriend, she was hit. Um, I think it was 1920s, 1930s, I'm not sure. However, she was seen inside the cemetery gripping these iron bars so hard that they glowed. And so the person stopped and came out because she, they truly thought that there was a young woman stuck in the cemetery because they lock it tight at night, from what mm-hmm. I understand. And it, those bars were bent. And the cops that came to remove it, because there were way too many people that were coming, they took pictures and you can see the imprints of two small hands. It <laughs> is terrifying. I love and that story. You can Google it. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just like, wow, I thought you were just a young girl coming home from a dance. What went wrong? Do you want to talk about it? I mean, that was, that's scary that she might be able to bend bars like Superman. She's lucky that the she didn't the boyfriend is lucky he didn't get in you know run across her. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes, he didn't drive down that road again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's cover one more and then we'll call it a night because I've actually had you on here for longer than an hour, but it's hard to let you go when we start talking about this. <laughs> oh, stuff. I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right. No, it's yeah, okay. It's fun. Well, how about the. How about the um, the phantom driver of old Route 40? It's another road ghost. Is that- I am unfamiliar with that one. Well, this is in Ohio. Route 40 goes beyond Ohio. It was like the old National Turnpike. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a fun two-lane road. I used to drive it a lot to Indiana. And it's just a nice, nice road. But there's a part of it here in 
near Dayton, um, it goes over the Englewood Dam. And I find it a really lonely and unnerving place. It's really narrow. It's a steep drop-off. I mean, if you go through the rail, you're toast. And um, it was protected just by a wooden rail. And any mistake, if you were driving a big rig over there, you'd just be plunging 125 feet to certain death. But at the west end of Englewood Dam, there was a truck stop. And this driver named Roy Fitzwater came staggering in. And the other drivers looked him over and they're like, what the hell is the matter with this guy? And he's just said something strange happened out there. And he wouldn't talk about it until he talked to a highway patrolman named Harold. And um, it turned out that he was driving along and there was something coming at him uh, in a car. It was like a skeleton driving this vehicle and it was all lit up sort of green light. Um, he, he said, I could see a car turn onto the bridge at the other end and come straight at me, lights on high, blinding me. He looked like he wanted to play chicken and forced me off the dam. I stood on the brakes and swerved, knowing I only had a little room to maneuver or I'd go over the edge. About 200 feet from me, the car swerved to the right and its headlights went out, but another light was inside the car. It was a ghastly blue-green light, like sky gets before a bad storm, and I swear to God, there was a skeleton driving that car. Its bones all lit up in that horrible light and its greenish teeth grinning at me. So they tried to track down the perpetrator, and he went up and down Route 40, various places in Ohio and Indiana. Nobody ever caught him. It was like he had some sort of extra gear in his car, and he always got away. And nobody was quite sure, you know, was it just some prank? Um, somebody was just playing a trick, pretending that the skeleton was driving, and they really had, you know, they were under the dashboard or something. I don't know how they worked it. But um, it made national news. How many no times was this seen? I don't know. I, I wrote a blog about it, and I can't recall. But um, I had at least five or six different incidents. And I'm sure there were more people who didn't talk about it because it you know, makes you sound kind of crazy. You're a long-distance trucker. You don't want people thinking you're seeing things. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, Anyway, there were at least five or six events, and um, as I said, he always got away. So, strange, maybe ghostly, maybe just a prankster, but odd. Yeah, okay. it's, I mean, I get a vision of, like a cartoonish vision of just a green glowing skeleton driving a car. Right, so. yeah, or, or just a, you know, a... Uh, like an animatronics sort of thing at Disney or something, you know, on a ride. That's pretty intense. I've changed my mind. I'm not going to haunt you as just lights now, Ro. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like a Disney ride right outside your window, hanging out in my car as a skeleton. That's amazing. That's the most lively ghost we've heard besides the Jacobean guy that's angry about you touching his jewels. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm. Is there a, a backstory to what how how the skeleton got there or whatever, or it's just no, the story of a? No, there is absolutely no backstory. It just came out of nowhere. It's just Ghost Rider driving a car. Just, yeah, <laughs> it is just a Ghost Rider driving a car, and it just came out of nowhere. It was in the um, and it was just this road. 
So I'm not sure why. I mean, there's plenty of stories of phantom cars. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah. this particular one was driven by a skeleton. So <laughs> I do a lot of driving. Mm-hmm. Like every year, well, not next year, of course, because of COVID, but it's like every last couple of years, I I've, I've drove from Detroit down to uh, Daytona for bike mm-hmm. week. And I usually leave Michigan. I'll usually leave here at about one o'clock in the morning. So I'm usually heading through your neck of the woods yeah. in Ohio, right around two or three or something like that. Um, which also you've got a, a road right off of I-75 called Needmore yeah. Road. And yeah. that lane actually ends right at the Needmore Road exit, which is kind of ironic. Huh. But <laughs> um, And I'm always like, there's a, there's a fork that you take to go an alternate route off of I-75. It's down by where the sugar processing plant is or what have you. And I'm always driving on these back roads wondering, like, am I going to am I going to see something out here or like super late at night? You know, and is is anybody going to believe me? And do I bother telling anybody if I do see something like that? Mm -hmm. So I'm always like, you know, it'll be like three o'clock in the morning and I'll be like jamming something to listen to to keep me awake as I'm driving going, man, am I going to see like a ghost on the side of the road or whatever? Because there's back roads in Ohio when you're driving, even like Indiana and so forth, where the road just looks the same for miles and miles and miles and miles for hours. And it's dark, and you're like, "Am I dead? Am I? Am I am, you know, like, there's nothing <laughs> here. I've been hell? driving for hours. No, I'm in Ohio. Yeah, is, is this hell? <laughs> so yeah, I'm getting all existential and panicky here. But you know, I've had that happen before. Early, like three oh, o'clock yeah. in the morning, it's like, man, I've been driving for a long yeah. time. This road doesn't look any different at all from the road I've been driving on for hours yeah. now. What the hell? Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, there's so. a place near Blanchester. I I really hesitate to go down there because I always get lost i mean it's a straight shot it's 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 a single road trying to go from where i'm going to blanchester i get lost every single time and i don't know why i get lost and i was talking to my husband about this and he says there's a magnetic anomaly down there he knows about it because there's something to do with aviation and i'm like oh well that i slap my forehead and i'm like well that explains it completely (laughs) But it was. It, Do you use like Google Maps or anything well, like that? No, this was, this was or? before Google Maps. This was when I was tour- touring yeah. for twenty five years, and um, it was like being pixie led. You would you would try yep. to come out of Blanchester, and you'd get on a road, and all of a sudden you're back in Blanchester again. You couldn't get out. It was very weird, or you couldn't find your way there. It was strange. Um, I I remember being down there. Uh, once and I, I love looking at graveyards and I found this cool graveyard and I'm like, there's 15 fresh graves here. Why? <laughs> and they were all different dates. And so maybe they were just filling in, you know, sunken graves or something, but it was kind of unnerving because <laughs> it was, oh, that it was a tiny out. cemetery, you know, like one of those little country cemeteries you see by the side of the road, yeah. 15 fresh graves. Okay. I would leave immediately. I did. Okay. <laughs> we are and then the she ended mind. up right back there again. So she left again, and then she ended up back there again. <laughs> I guess I had to turn my pocket. I forgot to turn my pockets inside out to break the pixie lead spell. That is one of the ways to do it. Yeah, there's always weird little ways like drop eggshells or something like that yeah. to get you out Turning of the things inside out, yeah. Uh, I mean, these people that get caught in fields and things, they, they they can see their way out, but they can't get out. It's it's. Quick, put your underwear on the outside of your pants. <laughs> Why? Just do it. <laughs> Wait, are we talking like Faye? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah. When I was in Dublin, no one wanted to talk about them, and there's a reason yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know there were ways to get away from them. I need to look this up. Oh, keep a, po- keep a piece well, of bread in your pocket. That's how they do it up in Prince Edward's Island, so you don't get kidnapped. Um, and turn your pockets inside out. Keep cold steel about you at all times. Um, if somebody you know... Do you know what makes cold iron considered it's, to be it's cold just, iron? It's just how, what any the kind of iron, really. I mean, they just, that's, yeah. That's yeah. been worked by human Steel hands. knife yeah. is, is a good one because you can throw that over the head of someone who's been kidnapped by the Fae and they'll be returned to you immediately. This must make TSA question you two a lot. <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> if I get on that plane, we're just going to end up right back to this this airport. You got to let me bring this iron on. Sir, we're a little curious. Uh, why do you have a pocket? Why do you have a jar full of pig salt in your pocket, sir? Um, Yeah, well. None of um, your business. Uh, you know, just. You don't understand, obviously. <laughs> You really wouldn't understand. You've already asked me that question four times. You just don't remember, by the way. <laughs> so, all right, we're going to wrap this up now. Uh, Chris, as always, where can people find you? Where can they find your books? You know, uh, as always, you know, tell everybody about where well, they can Well, I'm on Facebook at hauntedohiobooks.com um, by Chris Woodyard and also at the Victorian Book of the Dead and also Mrs. Daffodil. So, and, and I've got the Haunted Ohio blog is defunct but they're still there uh the um victorian book of the dead blog and mrs daffodil digresses if you're interested in victorian history and culture and fashion and uh the books are available at the usual online outlets and um tell your bookstores to order them so we can get into more outlets and your new book, when you think it's going to be out by chance next year? It'll hopefully be out next year. And, and I'm working on another book on Victorian mourning, but that's maybe going to be a while because I'm going to try to go with a traditional publisher for that. So we shall see. Well, I, for one, really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you. I'm really looking oh, forward pleasure. to in your blog so thank you so much for taking oh, the time thank you uh, it's a pleasure you you've given us some really good stories and uh, forced me to think about haunted dolls thank you very much <laughs> i'm in the same boat i hate them too sort, <laughs> sort of. of please don't come for me robert yeah he, he's scary well happy Halloween. Well, i hope you both have a yeah have a good halloween are you having trick-or-treating in your neighborhood um I don't know. I'm actually, my neighborhood is very small. We seldom get very, my neighborhood is only about three blocks big. And with everything that's going Mm -hmm. on this year, I don't really think we're going to have anybody. I'm going out to a friend of mine's house. We have a get together every year. They're not passing out candy or anything this year. They're just getting a whole bunch of candy for their kids and everybody's bringing candy. And we're all just like, here, candy, go become diabetic. You know, we're going to sit on fire. Trebuchets, candy trebuchets. There's people doing the whole uh, really long tubes that are dropping them out of their, you know, PVC pipes. But the problem is people are still touching that candy. Yeah, so, they are. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, if it's my kid, it's like, yes, I understand we're not we're, we're social distancing. I got that. But you're still touching the candy that you're giving to somebody. Now, if everybody would be yeah. wearing rubber gloves and passing out the candy and stuff, I'd be a little bit more cool about it. But sure. nah. So me and my buddies, we're all just kind of like we don't like the people that I'm hanging out with. None of us go anywhere or do anything. We're all super paranoid about this. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. the honor system of, well, you're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. They haven't gone anywhere. 
and we know we haven't gone anywhere in weeks, so let's kind of like get together and try to do this as long as we all not go near anybody before we do this. And that's kind of how right. it's working out. I don't know how it is out in Utah with Shelly right now, but uh, Shelly, are you passing out candy? So we're nearing infection rates of nearly 2,000 people yeah. a day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so what we're doing is we'll actually have a table at the end of the driveway. We'll actually be sitting there. And I've put everything, washed it, and made certain it was disinfected, put it in something bags. Mm-hmm. So that they'll be able to take a bag a piece and just off you go. No one's touching each other's candy. It's been untouched long enough that it's just like, go take it. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. I think the CDC is actually recommending that. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I get, but that's, it sucks to have kids oh. not have Halloween. I mean, kids are already going to be wearing masks and stuff. And most people, you, know, you wear a mask on Halloween anyways. So, you know, but this, it just sucks, you know? So yeah. I still like the trebuchet. Yeah. yeah. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, there you go. Let's just get lawsuits going. I want to pelt children. It'll be fun. <laughs> right between the eyes. Yes. I'd be the guy that would make the, the potato gun. You know, I'd be the guy that makes the PVC potato gun and just like shoots candy out into the road. Dodge, you know, <laughs> poof, you know, and then. Me personally, I would have like a scoreboard and be like, okay, so I got that one in the head, I get 10 points. Yeah. <laughs> People are just running and dodging. Can you please stop that, ma'am? No. Shelly's giving out candied apples. No, she's shooting candy apples. <laughs> oh, apples. Even better. <laughs> there you go. Uh, pumpkin. Pumpkin, tri- pumpkin chunking. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the pumpkin yeah, I know. Let's not talk about that. So, anyways, we're going to let you go, Chris. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot for coming on here. And, of course, we'll do this again when your new book comes out. Let me know. We'll do this again, uh, you know, anytime. I I love talking to you. You're you're a blast. You're knowledgeable. I I always walk away with my shows from you, like, feeling really good because, A, they're very easy to edit. And, B, it's it's never a dull time talking to you. You're you're a great person to talk to. And, of course, you know I'm a fan because I'm constantly retweeting the stuff that you put out there. I'm always... Or I'm bugging you or something. I'm always sending you messages here and there saying, oh, this is awesome or whatever, you know. So ah, You're never you know. bugging me, never. But uh, thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks. Nice meeting you, Shelly. Nice meeting you, too. So that was Chris. She's always a lot of fun to talk to. I'm glad you were here to do that because you are my resident dead girl, for the lack of a better term. Heck yes. If <laughs> it's, it's awkward, it's weird, it's me, and it's probably about dead people. We had, um, you live out in Utah, and I had hung out at your house when I was out there a couple of months ago. God, it seems like it sounds like sooner than that, but it's been a while now. And we All had right. started talking about the Dybbuk box, and you said, yeah, I want to come back on the show again as long as it has to do with dead things. So I made it a point to remember to have you back on here again, because every time we've had you on here before, it's been a God, it's probably been a year and a half, maybe two years now. Yeah, it's been a little bit. It's been a minute. So I was mm-hmm. like, I need to get Shelly back on here. And it, you don't have a book. You don't have a blog. You're just, just really weird. knowledgeable. <laughs> I'm just weird. Let's just awkward, weird. I love hearing that. about these sorts of things. So by golly, by gum, this was fun. What you guys couldn't hear is me muting my microphone and hitting my my 
my puffer because my asthma, for whatever reason, is just driving me insane this year with the uh, with the season change. So throughout the show, I'm like trying to keep from coughing and stuff as I'm talking, and my voice is like going up and down and doing this weird thing because I'm trying not to cough. But anyways, so yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I thought you were just singing an aria for us. Oh God, no, God, no. <laughs> It's doing it now. I can't get a good full air full of lungs or lungs full of air. Whatever. Yeah, this this is what I do when, when things get weird for me. So anyway. <laughs> but um, thanks for coming back on here again. We'll do this again. Any kind Absolutely. of ghost-oriented or dead body-oriented show besides the one that I just had, I will probably be knocking on your door to come back on here and do this again. Heck yes. And if so. you guys want to send me some of that stuff, it makes my day. Oh, the books and stuff? Well, anybody like if you find me on the Facebook with the with the Facebook uh, group, I'm on there, and oh my goodness, this stuff is amazing. Oh, I you're going to spend a lot of time it. in her blog. Your her mm-hmm. blogs, you're gonna you're gonna be. I, I go there about once a week, and there's a few other sites that I go to that just post random weird news and stuff, and her stuff pops up on there all the time. There was a bunch of stuff that we didn't actually cover tonight because we just. I, I told her we'd be on here for an hour. And I think I had her on for a little bit longer. I think we had her on for like an extra half hour. So there was, there were stories that we didn't even get to cover with her just because we went on these side tangent conversations. Oh, yeah. And plus on top of that, like you asked me to go look up the topics. When I went into her blog, if I typed in that topic, it would bring up like 10 or 15. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was so much stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I recommend anyone listening to this show if you want to read more about this, it's fantastic stuff, both the historical and her uh, Miss Daffodil. Mm-hmm. Really great stuff. Yeah, you will spend a lot of time there. That will become maybe your default go-to. I'm bored. What's oh boy? And then like two hours later, three hours later, your husband's gonna be like, oh, what are you doing? You making dinner? No, I'm doing what I want. <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> I'm reading about dead people. You really want me making your dinner? <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. I hope others will go look at it as well. So what are you doing for Halloween? You're going to set up a table at the end of your, your driveway. And, and help children. And, and and just throw bags of candy at people with gloves on? or, or... Children. children. Let's be specific. Children. You're, you're yeah, just... I'll probably have gloves on. And CDC recommends that you put uh, whatever you're giving out in cellophane bags or something yeah. like that. So we have a lot of kids around here and a lot of people that uh, – are not necessarily uh, concerned with what's going on. So I'm certain that we'll have a bunch of kids that really want to be able to enjoy the holiday. So I'll probably be in the back corner with a trebuchet. (laughs) Amy, get the parents. Here, kids, here's some candy. Mom and dad, you're dead. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, I I actually wanted to put like uh, parachutes and toss them. Mm-hmm. from my windows because I have a second story house and we have um, some inflatables and I wanted to be like do you want it from the Stay Puft Marshmallow or do you want it from the Big Scary Tree and we'll just throw it out and it'd be like a little parachute but no the trebuchet sounds good let's, let's go with that you got to put up a sign saying this candy has been sanitized and is, is sanitary or anything like that or are you just not going to go through that much effort I don't know anymore I don't know if anyone around here cares. So. I see that. I see that. I saw that pop up in the news this week. Like when I was out there, I had quarantined for like two weeks and plus I, for a variety of reasons. I just had to keep getting COVID tests because there were people mm-hmm. that I knew that had it or I had every time I went to the doctor to get something checked out, they would, of course, give you a COVID test at the doctor's office. So by the time I came out to Utah, 
I had had enough. Co- I had had so many things shoved up my nose that I was, you know, I was. I felt like a cokehead going through withdrawals. Um, so oh my! The only thing that was really the concern for me was flying on the airplane with people, and I still had the mask on and stuff. But still, you're in an enclosed environment, recirculated air. You, you mm-hmm. know, there's probably a good chance that somebody on that plane had something. But outside mm-hmm. of that, when I got out there, every place that I went and hung out with, there wasn't anybody at the places that we went. We went to, like, the Salt Flats, the Great Salt Lake. And, mm-hmm. like, when we did go where there was people, there was nobody else really there. People were, like, 20 feet away from you or something like that. So, you know, because I, w- I was real nervous about going out there, being that Utah is the way that it is with the COVID and stuff. But it was actually pretty cool. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal because, you know, we were like super, like even I, I hung out at your house and it was like, no, you stand there. I stand here. Okay. I'm completely cool with this. We're good. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so. I mean, Midwest, we have the room that we can do that. I mean, yeah. you go to New York and you're not going to get that kind of room in no. the city at least. No, but I, I like had in a... Utah, it's like stay over on the other side of my half acre lot. Yeah. Thank you. And it was fine. I didn't feel weird about doing that or nothing. I understood, and I was completely cool with it. But um, I had a side job that was offered to me off the side. It was down in Orlando this week, and I'm like, no way in hell am I going down to Orlando right now. Right. I don't care. I'm not flying. Well, we'll pay for your we'll pay for your airplane ticket. We got a place all set up for you to stay. We just need you down here for the weekend. I'm like, nah. Nah, I think Florida I'm good. Florida man is a little too uh, wild these days yeah. for me. Yeah, Florida is generally a little bit too wild, but I, no, I'm not. I'm not even remotely interested in going anywhere near Orlando, or, or I, I think I'm just going to sit and chill out here. I'm good. When spring hits and things are starting to calm down a little bit, and you know the vaccine or vaccines hopefully will be out there and things will be, then we'll talk. But right now, nah, nah, I think I'm good. I think I'll just sit here and chill. Not interested in going anywhere. Where it is appropriate to throw an alligator through the McDonald's drive through window when they don't give you exactly what you want. I'm not certain how well you're going to take a pandemic's precaution, precautionary measures seriously. Yes. So, yes. totally get it. Yeah. So, anyways. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, Shelly, mm-hmm. thank you for coming on here. Happy Halloween. And um, we will do this as soon as possible. We, I will have you back on here again because you're a blast to have on here. It's very easy to do a show with you. I can be lazy and sit here and not really do anything, <laughs> which is what Wait, I like. you were doing that too? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope people don't take it too personally, too lazy folks listening to someone who's very accomplished. She, yeah, well, she's easy to interview as well. You know, she's got stuff to say. So, anyways. Easy. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, let's close it out. You can say whatever you want, but this is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. Go ahead. Say what you want. What I want. Good day. <laughs> Peace, folks. <laughs>